Welcome, friends. Uh, we are returning to our study of 1 Corinthians, picking up today at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Today I want us to look at the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are two basic topics that the Apostle Paul will discuss in this text. One being uh, Christians there in Corinth bringing lawsuits against one another. And then secondly, he is going to talk again about sexual immorality uh, among some other forms of immorality that he will offer to us again in what scholars call a vice list. So let's get into the text. And again, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your commitment to in-depth Bible study. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul begins in verse 1 saying, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So obviously Paul is uh, acting shocked that the Christians there in the city of Corinth, those uh, Greco-Roman Christians there in the city of Corinth, are taking each other to court. And they're taking each other before a Roman court. And Paul is going to say, as we continue to read, that that is something that shouldn't be done. Uh, He's going to say that these disputes among Christians should be settled among Christians. He'll give you his reasoning for that. But also, I think we need to understand that for Paul and Paul's world, the Roman courts there in Corinth might might have been known for being corrupt courts. Uh, The people making the decisions were people that were liable to take a bribe and thus have their uh, decisions swayed in preference for those who can give the larger bribe. So there may be a lot of underlying reasons why Paul is saying don't take your lawsuits from Christians to the pagan law courts. he's He's going to continue and give you some of his reasons But I think even behind this, again, is Paul's concern that there's so much division in the Christian community there in Corinth. And we see the division, we see the arrogance, we see the pride that's doing several things to the church there in Corinth, including causing it to become a very litigious group of people, and they are taking taking one another to court. Um, using the Roman courts. But look at the text. Let's, let's go on and hear some more of Paul's reasoning why he thinks they shouldn't do this. Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's some interesting theology that we do find in other places. John's Gospel, the book of Revelation, where Jesus says that the redeemed eventually at the end of history will, will co-rule with Christ and that the redeemed will participate in Christ's judgment of the world. So that's what Paul's saying here when he says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? So again, he's saying, Why are you with your Christian wisdom, you with the mind of Christ, taking each other to court in front of pagan, perhaps even corrupt 
um, officials. He's saying that um, we will judge the world, and when Paul uses the word world here, he's using it like you find in John's gospel. The world is a negative term. It means the world separate from God, the world apart from God. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Paul would say you're not. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, Paul says, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle dispute among the brothers and sisters? But brothers and sisters go to law against each other, and that before unbelievers. He says, verse 7, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He says that getting to that point is already a shame. It's a defeat. We should be able to work things out among ourselves with love and honesty and compassion. So he says, if you get to the point of bringing lawsuit against a Christian brother or sister, you've already been defeated. And he says actually here, why not suffer wrong? Why not be defeated? But you yourselves are wrong and defrauded, even your own brothers. So let me also say the pagan court there in Corinth was probably not just pagan, non-Christian. It was corrupt. Also notice that he is talking about trivial lawsuits here. He's not talking about the state being in existence to deal with criminal issues. He actually referred to these cases as trivial cases. Paul says in places like Romans 13, the government exists for the sake of our protection to restrain evil. So he's not talking about all lawsuits in general. He's talking about trivial lawsuits, what we might call today civil lawsuits. And he says you shouldn't even get to that point in the Christian community. You have the mind of Christ. You have spiritual wisdom. You should be able to settle this among yourselves. So I think there's a lot of practical wisdom there. Uh, sometimes in this world, in this life, we enjoy our divisions too much. We enjoy our arguments too much. We enjoy going after each other too much. And Paul would call us into account for this. So he's saying that we need to not let anything harm our witness to the world around us. Here in Corinth, it was a fairly small Christian community in a thriving, large Greco-Roman city. And they had to pay attention to their witness, not just having their rights met or fulfilled, not get, just getting what they deserve, but they need to pay attention to their witness, not allow anything to harm their witness. So these are some important words for us here. Our witness to Jesus Christ is precious, and sometimes we might need to let some things go. We might need to just let God deal with some things, let God be our defender, rather than do anything to harm our witness. And that's, I believe, behind all that Paul is saying here. 
He's going to progress. Look in verse 9 where he begins to offer what we call in the ancient world a vice list. Paul's already done this once in 1 Corinthians. He does this in many of his letters. So let's look at verse 9. Paul says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous, these people before whom you're taking your court cases, I would add, do you not know, Paul says, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, for Paul, uh, kingdom of God at this point, uh, in this context, means the future kingdom. Usually, particularly in the gospel, when it's Jesus teaching, preaching, the kingdom of God is a present reality, a present living of life under the rulership, the reign of God. That continues into eternity. But here, Paul is talking eschatologically. He's talking about the future fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And here comes one of those lists. And um, sometimes the list can be painful to us because we are just in a different culture. We're in a culture that says tolerance and acceptance and being non-judgmental is the highest of all virtues. And while there is something to be said for tolerance and for um, being non-judgmental and accepting, those are not the highest of all Christian virtues. And Paul reminds us of that, particularly in a place such as this, where he gives us one of these so-called vice lists. He says, do not be deceived, neither... The sexually immoral, and that's his word that we've already seen, porneia, which is a broad term for various forms of sexual immorality. But he is a good Jew. So he is uh, defining sexually immoral uh, in the ways that the Jewish community would have defined sexual immorality, such as Leviticus 18, one of the so-called holiness codes. Uh, where he talks about all the different expressions of sexual um, expression that is uh, considered immoral in the, Christ, in the Christian community for Paul and then the Jewish community. And, of course, at this point, Paul just saw himself as a, as a good Jew who had embraced Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. So he's, he's saying, don't be deceived. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, those who worship false gods, nor adulterers. We know what adultery is. That's to have sexual relationships with someone that's not your spouse. Nor men who practice homosexuality. I don't have to tell you how, um, how contentious this language is that we find in the New Testament. It's, 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 it's fairly constant in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And the New Testament and Old Testament is consistent in uh, condemning um, same-sex sexual practice. Uh, here there's actually a couple different words that are used in the Greek to um, uh, refer to uh, men, and it really is men at this point, who practice same-sex behavior. Uh, the two words actually means the man who is aggressive, the man who is passive. So Paul pretty much is covering his bases here 
when he adds sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, those who party way too much and go after other people also, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me say a couple things about this kind of list. Uh, the verbs that are being used here is um, a verb tense that very clearly implies ongoing behavior, ongoing practice for someone, um, uh, continual, consistent behavior. We all fail Christ every day. We all sin every day. Uh, we should be very careful about thinking one sin is worse than some other sin. The Christian community seems to be rather famous about picking out particular sins and uh, letting those be the sins du jour, the sins of the day. We need to be very careful about that. Paul is condemning uh, several different sins here. This list is not exhaustive for Paul, not unique to Paul either in the ancient Christian world. He's condemning uh, several different forms of um, um, evil practice, uh, but he is talking about someone who practices these practices these things as lifestyles. He's talking about someone who practices these practices these things in an ongoing, unrepentant way. Now, for some people, that doesn't make them feel any better. Uh, they want to take some things off this list and somehow make them something other than how they're presented in the scriptures and in the uh, majority of Christian tradition. Uh, you'll have to prayerfully decide what you're going to do with this. But Paul says here, and he says elsewhere, and he's consistent with the scriptures, when he says something like, do not be deceived, the sexually immoral, in light of Jewish sexual morality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice sexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those whose lives are characterized by the ongoing practice of what the Jewish Christian community is calling sinful behavior. We need to also perhaps mention at this point to be tempted a, a certain way is not sinful. To have certain desires is not sinful. To even be prone to certain orientations is not sinful in Christian tradition or Christian scripture. It is yielding to those desires, yielding to those temptations, and acting out uh, and creating behavior that God would not condone. I know that we're in a culture today that wants to condone all behavior, and people seem to want to say, if it's who I am at the core of my being, then I should have a right to do it. And not only should I have a right to do it, you should celebrate that as part of who I am. Um, that may be where you are, but that's not the Jewish Christian tradition and the bulk of uh, Jewish Christian history. Uh, we have always said that sexual relationships, for instance, uh, sexual relationships, sexuality is part of God's good gift of creation, but it has to be done with, within certain boundaries. Um, and the scriptures are clear about that. Uh, some people today don't like any boundaries of any sort. They think that self-actualization or being who you are should give you the freedom to practice whatever activity you feel strongly led to practice. 
And that is a contemporary idea, contemporary understanding. But Paul, in the Jewish and Christian tradition, would certainly never be able to make that mainstream. Uh, they see things differently. And that's why you come across these vice lists. Uh, because God, our creator, knows what the boundaries of creation should be. Uh, and he um, reveals that to us in Revelation. And Paul is not shy to offer these lists. So he's saying if you are in an unrepentant way practicing this kind of behavior, you need to think about getting right with God. Uh, sometimes we can say no. We can say no to actions and activities and behaviors. I know our culture does not usually celebrate ever saying no to our desires, but that is a modern, postmodern way of, of doing ethics. Paul says that as uh, people in the Jewish Christian tradition, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through grace transforming our lives, through the process of sanctification, our lives being cleaned up by the grace of God that's offered to us in Jesus Christ, we can be empowered to make choices about the way we live, which is why Paul then can concludes this section with verse 11. After he's given us this vice list, he says, and such were some of you. Because particularly in the Greco-Roman pagan world, uh, sexuality oftentimes was seen as just something recreational. Same-sex attraction, same-sex sexual behavior was more common in Paul's age than it is in our age for a lot of different reasons. The Greeks and the Romans tended to esteem men more than they esteemed women. So uh, particularly on what we would call, it's a modern word, what we would call homosexual behavior uh, was, was actually more common in the ancient world uh, than it has been in our, our world, at least up to um, the present. In the ancient world, too, abortion was known. And as a result of abortion being known in a radical form among the Greeks and Romans, they would actually leave babies out to die. And they would obviously, in the ancient world, leave more female babies out to die than male babies. So something else is going on in Paul's age that is helping to um, promote the acceptance of same-sex male attraction is uh, a shortage of women. Uh, abortion was prevalent. And in the earliest document we have outside of the New Testament, a document called the Didache, the Teaching, Probably from about the year 95 A.D., uh, the Christian community that created that document condemns abortion. It was very common in the Greco-Roman world, even to the point that babies, if they came uh, being female rather than male, could be left out to die. Uh, so they were selecting the gender of their children that way. But that did also give rise to a shortage of women, uh, particularly in some of the Greco-Roman cities. So homosexual, same-sexual attraction among men was, was fairly common in the ancient world. And that's why Paul is including that on the list here. Paul is saying in verse 11, and such were some of you. Because it was so typical in the culture, the pagan Greco-Roman culture that Paul is addressing. But then Paul goes on to share within the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
Here he's talking about uh, heavy-duty Christian theology. He's talking about how we're justified in Christ. In other words, we can be made right. We can be set in a proper relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He says we've been justified and we've been sanctified. Sanctification is that process, that spiritual process, where the Holy Spirit helps us grow in holiness. Uh, Sometimes I talk about justification and sanctification this way. The gift of justification gets us out of hell, but the gift of sanctification gets the hell out of us. Justification sets us right before God. It's a gift to us from Jesus Christ. We receive the right standing by receiving Jesus Christ as the Savior and Redeemer, the one who has been sacrificed for us. So we're set right. We're justified before God in Christ. And then the Holy Spirit begins to uh, sanctify us, begins to help us grow in holiness. So let me just close one more time by reading this verse, verse 11. He says to the people, and such were some of you, He's referring to that vice list. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we can start over. We are new creations in Christ. We have high standards in the Christian community, in the Jewish and Christian community, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, grace operating in our lives, to help us reach those, those high standards. So this is a good stopping place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, he will continue on in this vein, uh, encouraging us to flee sexual immorality when we pick up next week. God bless you.